I'm not sure that this is how you woke up or what you thought when you got up this morning. But this is the gathered community of believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Saviour. Here at Northreach, we make no apology for the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, and that is a fact whether we say so or not. So you might meet many people this week and some of them, if you said Jesus is Lord, they may not respond favourably. doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. Amen? Isn't that good? And across the globe... In this 24-hour people uh, period, people are worshipping the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does it make you excited? I like, we can, uh, we can do the church thing, and uh, people have been doing that for generations. But I'm very, very keen when I know people are doing that real. I'm really excited when we know the truth about God and we make that known. And church, per se, is about the gathered community of believers, about the opportunity for us to do what we do every other moment of every other day together with others. So we worship God every day. You don't come to church to do that, but you come to do that to to church with others and that does kind of make it a little bit special that we have truth to share with one another. I love uh, the particularly the Pauline but uh, the one another uh, principles that are in the scriptures, how we are to treat each other, how we are to live with one another and the gathered community of the people of God uh, give us the opportunity to make that practical. And then, because we are stronger together, our witness in the community and our love for people all over is magnified because we are better together. I love that. I want to talk to you today about reconciliation. I want to talk to you out of the scriptures here in Genesis that will enable us to, I think, uh, put the picture together with what God has already done, was always doing, and how man can participate with God in that. I think there's some principles in the story that we unfold today that are life-giving. I think it's a test of character for us. Pretty much every time we open our eyes or... um, have our heads turned on when we wake up, uh, particularly every time we go out of the house. Life's about making on-the-go decisions all of the time. Uh, I live in Condon, and when I left Melbourne a couple of years ago, one of the really great things on my mind was the lack of traffic lights. So you come from Melbourne, where it used to take a 25-minute journey to the church uh, that was kind of my base church, a 25-minute journey would often take 50 minutes in the morning, double the time, because everybody's thinking like me, it's time to go to work, right? We all go at the same time, 
And so it wouldn't actually matter. There's so many people that if I went two hours earlier, didn't kind of change too much, right? Two hours later, that's not practical. So I learned after a while, you just got to do this thing. So living in Condon, I can go Bex Ave, can't I? And come down and it's only roundabouts to get to Northreach. And I thought, man, change of life. This is fantastic. I'm, I'm just so much closer to heaven right there. Okay. And then they decide that somebody, keep, keep repeating this, somebody, probably an engineer, decided that Bexav should have its own on and off ramp to the ring road and Riverway Drive, uh, Riverway Drive doesn't need them anymore. So let's pull for money, many months, let's close Bexav and shoot everybody down. My goodness, it's now taking me 20 minutes to do a six minute drive. But we make decisions every day. I made a decision this morning to clean my teeth, right? My dentist will be happy about that. I did it on autopilot. I didn't sit around thinking about it. It just happened. The first day that I had to go Gouldian Avenue down Riverway, simple short drive, I don't know what it is, four or five Ks, I had to think about it. Now, car just turns left instead of right. I'm going to have to retrain it when they open up that road and go right again. What will I have for dinner? Well, that's a decision for at least half of us, right? Hopefully, the other half are making that decision for us. We've been told that time heals all wounds. I'd say maybe for some, but most of us would know time does not heal all wounds. It gets the healing process going. There's been unsettled conflict between Palestinian and Israel territory for a whole lot of years. Reconciliation around the globe is a fragile area. Even in Jerusalem, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre has its issues. Roman Catholics, Greek Orthodox, Ethiopians, several other denominations consider that this is the place of Christ's crucifixion and burial. Evangelicals probably have a different site. But they build a church over the site that's sacred. It's what they do. And there's a rock inside that they worship. And each denomination stakes a claim to various parts of the church. It's been a source of conflict for centuries. And as you approach the church, there's a ladder. Now, this is crazy, right? It's strangely leaning on one of the balconies. And it's been there since the middle 1800s. Because no one dares move that ladder, it might lead to an international incident. You know, people are just sometimes really interesting. I'm guilty from time to time of watching uh, one of the crime shows or even maybe Current Affair. I don't... Uh, I stumbled upon a current affair show one day doing some channel flicking and it is surprising. No, it's alarming 
how much trouble people can get into over a fence or a dog. And those issues can go through generations of people as time doesn't heal all wounds. Today, we look at the broken relationship of Jacob and Esau. And we're going to learn that broken relationships find their healing through confession and forgiveness. And in a way, it needs to honour truth and grace that seeks the heart of forgiveness. Reconciliation results when there is recognition of the truth, when the truth is known and the giving and receiving of grace is in action. Esau feels like he gets the broken end of the stick when his mother, Rebecca, now we heard that Rebecca was part of the passing of uh, generational story, the passing of covenant last week, which is awesome, right? And this week we learn uh, she's got a not so nice part of her character. She has the serious character flaw of deception. And we see her acting deceptively in at least three accounts. The first is the possible uh, deception regarding Esau's birthright in Genesis 25. And it happens as Esau returned from what the Bible says is the open country. Now, open country back in his, open country now in Israel is desert. Back in the day, it would have had brushwood and uh, lots of animals living there, etc. But he's been to the open country and he comes back and evidently uh, he's hungry. He's a hunter and a gatherer. And we see part of this in Genesis uh, 25. So the context is that Esau has been out hunting and returns home where no doubt Rebecca is. She's there. And she has influenced Jacob to deceive Esau and have him relinquish his birthright. Rebecca's second act of dishonesty is the deception of Isaac's blessing. And some of us will be familiar with the story as it's told in Genesis 27 here. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he couldn't any longer see. I got the right one up there. That's the right one. Isaac said, oh, sorry, I'll go back. Um, he called for Esau, his older son, and he said to him, my son, and the answer is, here I am. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like. Bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, this is culture. Uh, if you're kind of into Jewish uh, Old Testament culture, you get this straight away. Uh, if you're not, this is how blessing and inheritance is passed on. Dad needs to give the blessing. This was how Isaac was going to pass on his inheritance and blessing to his eldest son, Esau. As we continue in verse 5, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. 
So when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat. This is how I will give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. So Rebekah seizes the opportunity. She deceives her husband and to get Jacob, her favourite son, into the position at the top of the family line. Now, verse 8, my son, Jacob, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way that he likes it. Right here, we've got a combination deception. We've got a combo deception because sometimes it takes two. And Rebecca entices her son to selfishly deceive his dad. You get the goats and you don't have to go far. Just go to the pen. Esau's gone out to the open country. I'll do the cooking. And together, we'll deceive your dad, Isaac. So in verse 10, take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And to make this deception really fly, there's the stealing of Esau's clothes and a fake glove, hairy glove, to make Jacob's hands feel like his older brother's naturally hairy hands. Uh, the deception just goes from one little idea and deeper and deeper and deeper to get the job done, to get the deception done. So we go forward to Genesis 27. Rebecca knows that Esau is intent on getting back at Jacob, even so far as killing Jacob. He stole my birthright. He's made his father think that he was the older brother, resulting in Jacob receiving Isaac's blessing. So Esau's not happy with that. And mum Rebecca comes up with a further plan and wants Jacob to flee to her brother Laban, hundreds of k's away. But she knows that Jacob can't simply break ties with his father Isaac. And the plot thickens, goes deeper again, more deception. I'm not sure if you've thought about this, but... I remember as a young tacker, if I told my mum something as an excuse or what I would call back then a white lie to try to avoid getting caught about something, the excuses or the lies just kept going and I'd find myself getting deeper and deeper and then you've got to remember what you said, right? Because fake truth is something that's not coming from your heart, it's coming from your lips and then you've got to cover your tracks. Deception has a habit of going deeper. And Rebecca is in deep now. She tricks Isaac into sending Jacob away by complaining to Isaac about the Canaanite woman in their land. Isaac then sends Jacob away and he thinks it's his idea. That's part of deception, isn't it? Lead someone into thinking that they are responsible for something that happens when 
it's been manipulated. And there's a part in the movie, my big fat Greek wedding, I, maybe some of you have seen that, in one scene, the daughter needs daddy's permission to leave the family business and knowing he's not going to give it, the wife and the daughter conspire to get the father to do the thing that he now thinks is his good idea. I feel like there's always going to be pain, disappointment and broken trust when it comes to deception. In Genesis 27, as we follow the story a bit deeper, Esau said, it's not uh, is he not rightly named Jacob? Now, I've got to be careful not to point at Jacob in the room today. Right? It's a popular name. In the Hebrew, it means supplanter or one who cheats and gets an advantage, which is often interpreted as someone who seizes, circumvents or usurps. Pretty sure parents who call their children Jacob, and I know many of them, are not thinking about this uh, because Jacob becomes a name that you'd really want your children to be called, but not at the outset of Jacob as a young uh, person trying to find his way. It's so accurate in terms of biblical descriptions though, isn't it, that the Bible gets character so incredibly right. Esau goes on in verse 36, he took away my birthright. You know what? Now he's even taken away my blessing. There's always a consequence. There was a consequence for breaking God's perfect order way back in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? And now there's a consequence for this situation. And when humans try to solve these things, we sometimes get it muddied. So Esau isn't feeling content about what's been happening in Genesis 27. And we pick it up. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father Isaac are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Things are serious for Jacob. It's not hard to see how Esau would be aggrieved by what his mother and his brother have done to him. I think our human understanding kind of get the picture that Esau is not going to be happy with what's happened. He's been on the receiving end of deception. And he's probably really upset knowing the deception of his own brother and his own mother. He's a twin. Sometimes situations in life come out of it left field. And maybe like Esau, you've felt abused by the actions of others. And sometimes we don't even find out until it's too late. And life is always going to, well, not always, but often going to have its curveballs. And I would, I would believe strongly that we need to respond and not react. That would be really important. And the actions of others can change the course of our lives. Unless we know how to deal with these kinds of wounds, our lives can become captive to pain and bitterness. Enormous pain will require a truckload of forgiveness. 
And the deeper the pain, the greater the forgiveness. The forgiveness must come from us. Forgiveness is not something we can wait to come from somebody else. It isn't our forgiving if we wait for someone or some other place. The way God has ordained things means forgiveness will bring relief and heal our souls and keep us from what Satan would prefer, which is uncontrolled bitterness. And I can testify, this is massive and it can feel like a bridge too far. If I'm going to be honest, it's one of the hardest things to forgive and to give grace. So uh, I got a message this morning. If Trace, if you're watching online, sorry, but I got a message from my wife who's in Melbourne and uh, she simply said, was thinking, there was something that brought it into her mind that Jesus died to give us life. And that's awesome. You know what? Simple truth is always awesome, isn't it? Isn't that big? Jesus died to give us life. The picture of the cross and the reality of what Jesus has done, the forgiveness in God's heart to allow Jesus to stay on the cross long enough and then he said, it is finished. I've done the work of redemption. I've paid the price and he offered himself into death, spiritual and physical death, separation in order that the trust he had in his father was revealed in resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? New life, new life. The Bible has a way of throwing stingers at us. Here's one. In Proverbs 18:14, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? I had to think about it, but I believe it's true. We can handle sickness. We can put it into perspective and deal with it doesn't mean it's not disappointing, awful, but bitterness is like poison entering a tree. It just keeps eating until it kills. So life and decisions are a test of character. And in Proverbs again, we read how hard it is to win back someone who's been deeply offended in Proverbs 18 and 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. In the end, Esau does forgive Jacob and I'm leading it this way because in my mind, that is a really big deal. That is massive. And if I hadn't introduced it that way, we kind of just think, well, it's, it's part of the Bible picture. It's what God wants to teach us out of this story. No, it actually happened. And yes, God wants us to learn the lesson, 
but it happened and it's a really big deal that Esau forgives Jacob. It's massive. In our humanity, I think we get that, right? But we need to think about it in order to get it. We need to have it in the order in which it appears in the life story of twin brothers. Because after years of separation, they're united in Genesis 33. And in verse 4, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. You got that picture in your kind of mind's eye? Wow. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Here's what I want to say. Time is involved, but it isn't time that does the healing. It's the powerful and redeeming change of heart in Jacob who appeases his brother with gifts reflecting his guilt of having taken Esau's rightful possessions. And here's the thing, even though reconciled, years of friendship were lost. Years of brotherhood were lost. Cousins were born and they never knew one another. Family memories were passed in to the refusal of pride. There are always consequences to broken relationships. We're the ones who suffer. And scripture reminds us of the importance of healing, forgiveness and restoration. Because here's the thing, I don't think we're good at it. We can't do it. But God's spirit enables us. So at the beginning and in the middle and at the end, we forgive like Jesus. You know, we've been saying every week, the Old Testament points to the Gospels. Genesis points to the Gospels. The stories we see, the lessons we learn point to Jesus. Reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness. (laughs) They point to Jesus, don't they? But Jesus actually points to them. There's always a consequence. And scripture reminds us of the importance of healing, forgiveness and restoration. Christ is the example. We have Jesus as our great example. He forgave us and gave his life for us and that's a simple truth that's awesome he displays a heart of forgiveness and I need to add just one other bit we're commanded to practice forgiveness and to be in unity with our brothers and sisters so for the Christian the choice remains whether we forgive or withhold forgiveness If we withhold forgiveness, we are breaking covenant. Jesus points to forgiveness. First time, every other time, and then last time. All times. 
There's a parable about forgiveness in Matthew 18. Uh, Jesus concludes this story by saying in Matthew 18.35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And the lesson is we need to forgive others. No categories of forgiveness, no categories of offence, not some things and not other things. Proverbs 19 and 11, a man's wisdom makes him slow to anger and it is one's glory to overlook an offence. Good thing to allow it to pass and to give forgiveness. I think restoration is the goal. God seeks our restoration through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus, through his work on the cross. And if we look at the book of Philemon, there's another example. Here's an awesome uh, giving of forgiveness and restoration because Paul encourages his friend Philemon to forgive his runaway slave, uh, slave, Onesimus. You might know part of this story. Uh, Onesimus has become a Christian. And uh, that was a whole new thing for him. There's a new life experience for Onesimus. And Paul reaches out to Philemon and he's fully aware that Philemon is legally due restitution that uh, Onesimus probably hasn't been a good guy in the service of Philemon. But Paul says, if there's restitution that's required, I'll pay it. That's another big deal, isn't it, that actually happened. It's recorded in New Testament history. So he's providing the example to Philemon, who's actually a person of good character. He's a good dude. But there's a point for Philemon. It's like for all of us, you know, there's, there's a level. I, I can do this, this, this and this, but you ask me to do this one? And Paul says, I just, I just need you to know that if this one's a bit hard, let me do it for you. Isn't that a great lesson? We see real life situations that distort relationship in our lives. And we see it's always been there. Always been there. As we look into these conflicts and struggles in the Old Testament, and particularly this Genesis story, people try to find a way through their frustration and jealousy. And it's so often about land and possessions. And then we see Jacob feeling like he has to have what is rightfully his brother's. And there the deception follows. And then the New Testament is full of the teachings and the truth that reveal how God seeks to reconcile us and have us uh, reconcile to one another. Go to Hebrews here. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness takes hold of us causing trouble and by it people are defiled. Bitterness, bitterness will always take us down. 
Colossians 3.15. This is the option. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Well, you were called as one body, so be thankful. Matthew 5 and 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Giving forgiveness creates peace. It's a covenant language. It's part of the promise. Seek peace and walk with God. Remember in the garden, the the principal best lifestyle for Adam and Eve were to walk together with God. Remember that? It's a beautiful picture. And the New Testament giving of the Holy Spirit enables us to walk together with God, individuals and the body of Christ. James takes us deeper in uh, James 3 and 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Peace will produce righteousness. Offer peace and get righteousness. Wow. If we go back to the story to wrap this up, we see Jacob making a very determined effort to correct the error of his past and to seek forgiveness. Esau gives it. Jacob seeks it. Restoration is concluded. He follows the voice of God, Jacob, because God had told Jacob to go back to the land that he promised. It's after a long time of separation and broken relationship from Isaac and Esau. Jacob follows God's lead and returns to the land of Canaan. And uh, we just read this story and we accept it as true, right? But I want to put it out there. It's a really big step for Jacob. It's massive. He makes a turnaround step of of obedience. He decides to follow God's call, God's will. He knows it's going to, well, his expectation is this is going to cost. God's command to Jacob was clear and God makes this promise in 28.15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Anyone need to claim that today? Anyone need that promise from God today? Take it. I think the important part, God can give us these promises, but Jacob took it. He took it and he returned. It's never too late to respond to God. In 32.9, then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham. He's going back to covenant right there, isn't he? God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. And 31.13, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Genesis is the story of fulfilment. 
So leave this land and go back to your native land and go sort it out. That was the message that I, as I interpret it, God is saying, go sort it out. I'm with you. Jacob had to listen, he had to learn, and he had to go. It took some big, bold steps. He was taking a massive risk. And in my language, not biblical language, but in my language, I think life for us to leave uh, where we'd been for 10 years and come back to North Queensland was in my language calculated risk right calculated because I believe God was involved in a call in my life risk because other people are also involved did you hear that no guarantees that Gary comes to Northreach and it's all sweet no guarantees because people are involved right but then when you love people and you trust God, calculations come together. Happy to talk with you more about that. But whatever we do and whatever decisions we make, we have to hold our expectations in accordance with what we know God has called us. We need to hold our expectations in accordance with God, not what we want. And so when it comes to reconciliation, it's a God thing that we should be reconciled. It's our action that sees it through. The promise is clear from God. It's our action. Jacob had to find a direction back to Isaac uh, Isaac's country back to his twin brother Esau and walk it. He probably knew the direction but when he packed up his wagons and went that direction that was a calculated risk. People mess up all the time. We drop things, we say things, we get things wrong, we misinterpret, we put wrong colours on fences, we just mess up with order and yet God finds a way to make things right. Follow God equals right. The blessing of reconciliation is the result. Rebecca conspired, Jacob deceived, but God still accomplished his plan. Don't you love how God gets God's stuff done, even in my language again, even in spite of me? He gets his stuff done. He still blessed Jacob. He still accomplished his plan. He still blessed Esau. And he preserved, get this one, he preserved the line for the Messiah. Isn't that wonderful? Woo! God always gets his stuff done. Let's pray. Would you stand with me for prayer? We're going to close uh, this prayer 
with the beautiful name of Jesus, the wonderful name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. Because Jesus is in every story. Father, we acknowledge that uh, there's a lot of things in our world that upset us. There's a, a lot of mess in our world. There's a lot of things that have happened even that we're affected by that were not our cause. We did not cause things to happen. And yet we're affected. And then there are the times when we know that we've, we've been involved in a break of relationship. We've said something or we've not said something and, and there's people that are hurt. And so we pray reconciliation upon the body of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that we all have hearts like Jacob who trust in your promise, who give to one another, who give grace, who give truth, and who acknowledge the personhood of Jesus, our beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus.